0: I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Someone is. Someone is. I Can't Get No Satisfaction, that song. I've been saying in the 70s, when I was doing research on that song earlier on in the series, I I thought I thought it was made in the 70s. It was actually made in the 60s. But uh, nonetheless, uh, all of it's still true that when Rolling Stones... um, Who did Paul say was a Rolling Stone or Jack? What? Someone someone here is a Rolling Stone. Someone? No? Huh? What? Yeah. Uh, But anyway... Ah, that's right, it was you saying that about your wife. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) But uh, uh, when the Rolling Stones made that song, they were kind of at the top of their game, right? And. And they had probably everything that people would look at them and say you, they, they'd ever want. And if, if you kind of said uh, a, a list of bands that was like the, the epitome of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, I mean, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, that would be it, right? But the reason why we still know that song today, is, I mean, the driving beat and everything, but the fact of the matter is, is that I can't get no satisfaction is like the cry of our heart we try and we try and we try, but we can't get no satisfaction. uh, Side note, this is for free. One of my favorite memories of youth group growing up is we were on a trip. I had a mission trip, camp trip, something. We might've been uh, down in the Dallas area and we were going to a Tex-Mex place and they had one of those walking Mariachi bands, you know, and uh, there was nothing greater than hearing a walking Mariachi band do, I can't get no satisfaction. So, I'm not going to try to do that because I might offend somebody with my stereotypical Mariucci band voice. Uh, But just, you know, you can probably imagine that. But anyway, uh, back on track. Uh, But 3,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, which could be titled, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. He used all his money, all of his possessions, all his, woo, you're playing with buttons, uh, and uh, all of who he was, to try to get satisfaction in life and find all this satisfaction. And he wrote these memoirs, really today we would call them a blog, to, to his sons in order to tell them, you're not going to find satisfaction in the areas that you think you would find. And today we're going to look at the last area that he tried to find satisfaction in, uh, the last vanity that he was, he was pursuing after. Next week we're going to kind of put a bow on top to see the conclusion that he came to all of this. But first of all, kind of a kind of a straw poll. Raise your hand, and don't be be afraid to raise your hand because uh, we'll find out in a second. Did you ever did you ever leave the church because you couldn't keep up with the perfection? Anybody say, I, I left the church. I left the church for a time period. You raise, your hand, raise your hand if that's you. You left the church. For the, I, I couldn't keep up the perfection. I couldn't keep up with the, with the morality. I couldn't keep up with, the, with what I saw everybody else doing, the, 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 the picture perfect. And maybe maybe you didn't leave the church. Maybe you didn't leave the church, but maybe you're like, I, I, I thought about it. I thought about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted that visual for people to go, there's all walks of life coming to God through this, right? Like, there's there's no such thing as like, I grew up a perfect life and here I am still in the church. There's no such thing as that. And this is where Solomon is heading with today's scripture. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 7, Ecclesiastes 7. You follow on the screen, the Bible app, we, throw instructions, we threw up instructions up there on, on how to uh, come, come across this and find this. If you want to come back to the verses and some of the study verses that we throw in there, you're going to have to save uh, the event in the Bible app, uh, or else it will just disappear. So Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15. In my futile life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who lives long in spite of his evil. And this verse kind of goes along with some of what P.A. was preaching about last week. Speaking of, you know, you talking about uh, Truman uh, being born in Lamar, Missouri. Uh, the, the Brownings were going on vacation. They got to Lamar, Missouri. Their transmission broke and they came back. So maybe it's the ghost of Harry Truman. But anyway. Man tough, yeah, hard crowd this morning, like, wake up, people! Anyway, so, a little bit of what PA talked about last week of, of, we've all seen this, right? We've all seen this. Some righteous person died young. Some teenager following God, knocking it out, gets cancer and dies. And then you've got some, some unrighteous, wicked, old man, right? Like Hugh Hefner, like, his, how has his lifestyle not caught up to him, right? How is he 150 years old? There we go. We finally got something back. There we go. How? Solomon's going, this is stupid. Essentially, in the futility, this is dumb. It's crazy. Why is life like this? So what's his conclusion? How should we live life because of this? Now, this is one of these verses that, like, you're going to be like, this is in the Bible? This verse is in the Bible? And if this verse is in the Bible, what does the rest of the Bible mean if this verse is in the Bible? Here's what Solomon says. Here's his reaction to this problem. Don't be excessively righteous or overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Some of you are going, yes, it is in the Bible. My lifestyle. Right there. See, that explain destroy it why should you destroy yourself and you're like wait a minute why how how would excessively righteous being excessively excessively righteous destroy yourself really that uh, that word destroy could could mean destroy it could be mean astonished like astonished in a negative sense like you see something bad and you gasp <gasps> That first question I asked, have you ever left the church because you couldn't keep up with the morality? Maybe, maybe you came to a point in your life, and this is where I think Solomon is heading, that you come to a point in your life, you're trying to play this game, you're trying to play this righteous game, you're trying to play the morality game, you're trying to keep up with all the other perfect lives, and you want at some point in time, you sit down and you go, it's not getting me anywhere. That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, if you pursue righteousness as the end game, it's vanity. It's vanity. But then you might be like, well, what about the verse of the Bible? It's a handbook on righteousness, right? What about the rest of the Bible? And maybe some of you are like planning out your keger tonight. Before, before put your beer pong away, before you make all of those plans, let's keep reading. Verse 17, don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before, you t- before your time? And some of, you, some of you have experienced this. You've walked away from the church because of the perfectionism. Then you walked into wickedness, and then one day you woke up and realized, I'm going to kill myself if I keep going. That's what Solomon's saying. But now, now we've got a problem, right? if we've walked away from the church because of the perfectionism, and if we walk towards wickedness and we realize we're going to kill ourselves, and we walk away from that, where where do we walk? Right? Where do we go now? And this is where so many in our culture currently are. Walked away from the church, They've walked into their own life, doing their own thing, but they're like, ah, that's not working either. What next? What next? little plug here. We're also going to start a new series in two weeks. Our kickoff, kickoff Sunday is actually kicking off the new teaching year, kicking off the fall, etc. Uh, and and, and the, all of next year is going to be looking at the church. And we're going to start with, what is God's vision for the church? What is God's vision for the church? And if you have struggled with the church, if you struggled with this perfectionism, this morality, this, 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 this thing, or if you've struggled with institutionalized church, etc., or if you know people who have, this is a great series because we're going to look at four passages from God's Word of God showing us His vision for His church. And it's not morality. It's not. And this here sermon kind of plays into that because we're looking at it from an individual standpoint. So come, invite people in two weeks because it's going to be a great series for people who just don't like church as they know it. Because we're going to try to shoot some holes in church as we know it. But where do we go from here? If it's not about being overly righteous, it's obviously not about being overly wicked. Where do we go from here? Solomon answers that question. It is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. Like, wait a minute, hold on. He says the one who fears God will end up with righteousness and end up with wickedness in in each hand? What on earth is he talking about? Well, first of all, first of all, I've talked about this throughout the series, probably not enough, but I've talked about this, that that right Christian thinking and right Christian practice is that we have two seemingly opposite tensions being held on to at the same time. See, it's not about getting the answer to one and we grasp a hold of this one and this one only. It's about walking in life and having these two opposite tensions in it in. in, 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 in in both of our hands. And Solomon says this right here, the one who fears God will have them in each hand and it'll be attention. Let's talk about fearing God. What is fearing God? The way we describe it here is hear and follow Jesus. We recognize that in one hand, God is over us. He's created us. He's created everything. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything. And we're not. But instead of letting that uh, be a fear that scares us, us, puts us in a fetal position, just waiting for a lightning bolt, we we have an equal but seemingly opposite truth. On the other hand, that He came down from heaven to earth to prove that He wants a relationship with all of us no matter how unrighteous we are. And that because of these seemingly opposite tensions that we hold, we say we hear and follow Jesus. That we are committed to hearing and following Jesus because He's greater than us, but because He also came level with us to say, I want a relationship with you no matter how bad you have been. We say, I'm going to hear and follow Jesus. Or biblically, fear God. But what does that look like? What does that look like? First of all, hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. We're going to talk about some verses. We're going to, not going to put them up on the screen. They are in the extra Bible study portion of the, the, the event. I encourage you to read these, including the last one, especially the last one that we're going to get to. But a hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst for what? Coffee? Coffee? Sounds like some of you need it this morning, but it's a separate point. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs will be the kingdom of God that internally we are hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. But the thing is, in, 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 in this context of, of keeping righteousness and wickedness kind of in, 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 in our hands at the same time in this tension, is that if we are internally hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we actually might look worse than the one who is trying to look all moral and perfect, Right? We've all experienced this and felt this. I hope, I hope, I hope that when you leave here on Sunday mornings, like you have an increased hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, God's word for Jesus himself. But then what happens? Someone cuts you off. And what comes out of your mouth isn't evident that you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Right? Anybody but me? See, when we hunger and thirst, it's an internal reality that we want to become external, but we may look rough around the edges. Too. And we may look rougher around the edges than those who are trying to be overly righteous. Or in the New Testament, it was the Pharisees. Or today, we'll just go with the stereotype the Baptist, right? The the, the stereotype that we have. Case in point. This week, I was talking with a business owner. She she, she had a had a a, a a customer that came in. Who was going to have a birthday that week. He liked whiskey bourbon. She had a bottle of it on her desk. Someone kind of joking, but it's funny because of the stereotype that I was talking about. Someone someone saw that and was talking to her and said, "Hey, don't let the Baptists see that." Right? Why? We're the morality police. We got it all together on the outside but we're a cesspool on the inside. Why? Because we're also the one behind the building downing the the whiskey bourbon. Right? Ever been there? Everybody looks all good, but the deacons are the one in the back taking the alcohol. See, it's not about looking good on the outside. It's about hungering and thirsting on the inside. Do you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness? Second of all, second of all, acknowledge, recognize and acknowledge, recognize and acknowledge. Recognize and acknowledge what? Our sin. 1 John 9 and 10. For confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive all our sin and our unrighteousness and cleanse us. But if we say we do not have sin, if we look like, if we act like we've got it all put together on the outside and act like we do not have sin, what does that scripture verse say? We are calling God a liar. See, God doesn't want us to have it all put together on the outside. Why? He's put an escape clause for us. Acknowledge and recognize. Confess. Repent of our sin. When our outward action does not match up with the hungering and thirsting that's on the inside, we say, God, oops, I did it again. Or I've fallen and I can't get up. Or I kissed a girl and I liked it. Whatever pop reference culture you want to use for sin, we tell God, I've done it. Will you forgive me? The Bible says yes. The overly righteous want to tell us that there is a limit, that there's a sometime, that He's going to stop forgiving you. That's bullcrap. That is not. Biblical at all. Jesus told Peter, forgive your brother 70 times 7, essentially infinity. Why? Because that's the same thing God does to us. Anytime that we come and ask forgiveness, that's what God does for us. Recognize and acknowledge our sin. When we act like we're sinless on the outside, we're calling God a liar. I'm not sure if any of us want to go there. If you're here this morning and if you struggled with God, this is what it means to be a Christian. And we acknowledge on the outside we're messed up, but on the inside we really do want Him. And we simply ask Him, forgive me. Where my outside does not match up with my inside. But there's a third thing about hearing and following Jesus. And it's discover and trust. Discover and trust. And this comes from Romans 3:21 through 26. For those of you old timers in church, we know Romans 3:23 is in the middle of it. And you can say it with me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Great verse, right? Awesome verse, showing that we're a sinner. In fact, Solomon says this earlier in, or later in Ecclesiastes 7. There is certainly no righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. This is his point. Why not be overly righteous? Own your crap, right? That's what he's saying. None of us are crapless. That can go on Facebook. Own it. All of our poop stinks. So own it. We're all sinful. So own it. But the thing is about Romans 3.23, there's a comma before it and a comma after it. So that means that's not the point. Right? English majors? So what's the point of this paragraph? The point of this paragraph is saying that by faith God justifies us. What does this mean? God looks down and says, Jared, you've never sinned. Nathan, you've never sinned. Marie, You've never sinned. Imagine God looking down at you and saying, You have never sinned. That's what justified means. And another big word in there. Propitiation. Some say the idea of wrath isn't in the New Testament. Wrong. Because propitiation is talking about wrath. That is the big theological $5 word for the absorption of wrath. That Jesus was the absorption of wrath on the cross. That every ounce of God's wrath went towards Him. Why? So that we can receive the righteousness of God. That we discover and trust that Jesus gives us His righteousness. See, do we want the outside to look like the inside? Yes, And this is called another $5 theological word sanctification. That we are always on on a process that God is making us into His likeness. That He is making us holy. We have a phrase look like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. That's not a bad phrase, but see, if we tell that to ourselves and tell that to ourselves and tell that to ourselves, here's what's going to happen. We're going to think it's up to us to look like Jesus. Who's the only one that can look like Jesus? Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? So he's got to do it for us. See, Jesus didn't die to make us moral people. Jesus died to make the dead living. Jesus died to make the unrighteous righteous. Jesus died to absorb the wrath of God that was destined for us. That's why He died. That's a much bigger deal than being moral. He wants to do it from the inside out as the song says that, that we sing often here. And see, then we'll be like Jesus because when we are overly righteous, we will never go to the unrighteous. They can come here and we might go to condemn them, but we'll never go to love them. And the overly righteous will condemn those who go. To the wicked or the unrighteous. Just like the Pharisees did with Jesus. You're a friend of sinners, Jesus. Jesus said, thank you. That's my goal. Glad you noticed. See, when we're pursuing our own righteousness, we can't be around those people because they will make us look bad. But when we are hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, when we are acknowledging uh, and recognizing our sin, and when we are discovering and trusting Jesus, we have to go. We have to go in love. We have to be around them in order to show them the love of God who came to have a relationship with them. I want to get better at that. And I want our church to get better at that. Where are we? Where are we? Are we thinking that church is enough? Filling a seed is enough? Looking good and being moral is enough? Or do we actually want to fear God and hold attention in both hands? Because it is Attention. Do we want to hear and follow Jesus? Am I look rough. I've told uh, youth groups in, in the past, when we're doing things right, we'll look a little rough because we're reaching people that are rough. I don't think we're rough enough here. We're hearing and following Jesus. And reaching those who need to know the gospel, the gospel of Jesus that says, No matter how bad you are, I love you and want to be with you. As we reflect, just pray about what God's put on your heart, laid it on your heart. Don't be moral, hunger, and thirst. Acknowledge and recognize and discover. Trust. Let's pray. Let me, Father Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the fact that man, freedom is that we don't have to play this game. We don't have to look perfect. We don't have to have to have it all together. We don't have to have to don't talk about our sin. We don't have to just not sin. We don't have to push it underneath the rug or hide it in the closet. We can come out. We say we're not perfect. We say we're not awesome. You know it already. We just say with you that we need your forgiveness. Let us all cry out for that this morning. Push our heart to that. Day by day, we are crying out for your forgiveness and your cleansing. It's your name that we pray. Amen.